no helicopters have been procured for me to go to golf course. Thank you. I'm not saying he wasn't a great politician. I'm just saying he's a off. How'd you play out there today? Uh, well, I found the conditions challenging, mostly because there's no grass on the golf course, but it never has been. I'm thinking about the swag bag, and I have the swag bag. When you got three crevices on the green, your course is trash. What's happening, folks? Welcome back, Beltway Golfer Podcast, episode 40. Alex Dixon here. This episode, Ian Gilly, Sugarloaf Social Club. Excited to have him on. We've been we've been talking about it for a little while, and and Ian and Sugarloaf Social Club and his co-founder Harrison Lewis. They they don't do uh, much media, as he talks about. But I was excited that that Ian was was down to come on his his local hometown podcast, Beltway Golfer. He's been a uh, resident for, for several years now and uh, plays a lot of the courses around here at DMV. If you are not on in- Instagram, you can be forgiven for maybe not knowing who Sugarloaf Social Club is. While they have expanded well beyond the world of Instagram and social media, that is where they really fostered the following and global fan base, which waits for their drops of different hats and shirts and golf bags and all sorts of different branded gear related to related to the sport. But they also have this creative side of the house where they create logos, scorecards, do different uh, creative work for some of the largest golf properties on the planet. Augusta National, Pebble Beach, Pinehurst have all tracked down Ian and Harrison from Sugarloaf Social Club to do work for them. So pretty impressive also that they've done this in a short period of time. And I use that Im- word impressive. When I was listening to the, to the, the conversation and editing this, I noticed I used that word several times and it, and it comes off like I'm, like I'm a fan. And the reality is I am because what they've done is, is remarkable, really growing this through Instagram and, and, and gaining such a following. So, um, so guilty as charged. Um, if you're, this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, as I imagine there will be several who track this down because they're fans of Sugarloaf. A uh, quick overview of what this podcast is all about. Pretty self-explanatory. Beltway Golfer. Interview style, conversational podcast. I've had everyone from golf course architects to superintendents to caddies to PGA teaching professionals to other members of the media, golf course owners, um, anyone connected to the Washington, D.C. area golf scene or stretching out into the Mid-Atlantic. Last episode even had uh, former PGA Tour Commissioner Dean Beeman, who is a native of Montgomery County, Maryland, in the D.C. area, on the show. So after you listen to this, please check out some of the other podcasts. I'd appreciate it. If you want to watch the video, if you want to watch the conversation, me and Ian sit down at the East Potomac Mini Golf Course. You can check out the YouTube page, Beltway Golfer. You can watch the entire video there as well. Before we get to the episode, one piece of personal news I'd love to share because it's pretty cool, and it happened since the last recording. The Mid-Atlantic section of the PGA, the MAPGA, they hand out annual awards. They hand out like 12 or 13 annual awards, mostly to PGA pros, you know, PGA teaching professional of the year, that sort of thing, coach of the year. But a couple of them they refer to as civilian awards. One of them is the Earl Helen Sports Media Award. They've been giving it out for 20, 30 years, and this year they gave it to your boy, Alex Dixon, Beltway Golfer. Pretty cool. Came out of nowhere. Excited about it. Thought I'd share. I get to go to a banquet in February, and I don't know what happens there, but uh, that's where they hand out all the awards to uh, all the PGA pros, and it sounds like it'll just be a party. So I'm excited. I'm honored. Wanted to share it with the listeners. That's it. Here it is. 
episode 40 Beltway Golfer Podcast, Ian Gilly, Sugarloaf Social Club. Enjoy. Ian Gilly, how are you? Good, how are you? Fantastic. We are out at the course formerly known as East Potomac Park, now East Potomac Golf Links. Yep. We are sitting here in front of the historic East Potomac Mini Golf Course. This is this is a place you know you know very well. Oh yeah, definitely. I moved to DC after college in 2011. Worked on Capitol Hill, and this this was my home. Like this was my my golf course. I lived in Foggy Bottom. Didn't have a car, so I would bike over or Metro and get a get an Uber. And this is this is kind of where some of my you know tastes and ethos of, of golf started to started to change. I grew up a country club kid in Chicago on the south side of Flossmoor Country Club. Lived in Florida for a little bit in high school. Went to college in Florida. Played college golf. Went to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Played college golf over there as well. So I kind of had this like country club background and like a tournament background. But then, you know, after college, real world air dropped into a city where you're making nothing on Capitol Hill. Pours can be, but you still want to golf. And so I had to had to figure out a way. Like, what's the closest course? Okay, it was here. Sure. You know, it's 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 affordable. Wow, even better. Like, there's a there's an awesome culture and community here. Found some guys on Capitol Hill to golf with getting beers, hitting balls after work, so playing 949, and yeah. So I exist mostly on Instagram of any social media channels, So and, and, and so do you. So most people listening to this know who you are. However, there are going to be some people that, that, may, that maybe are not on Instagram listening to this that, that, that don't know who is, who is Ian Gilly and, and, and what's he doing on this podcast, aside from a guy that used to work on the Hill and, and is really into affordable, interesting golf? You are the co-founder of the Sugarloaf Social Club. Yep. So for those that have absolutely no idea what Sugarloaf Social Club is, how would you describe it? Yeah, let's, uh, do we have time for a longer story here? Please. Take it back to, to 2011, graduating college, you know, last few months um, in school, I'm playing you know, live with my with my teammates, um, playing a lot of golf. We're out of this course called Sugarloaf Mountain, a core crunch course, like 30 minutes from our campus in Orlando. And I, we're getting kind of like emotional. Like it's, you know, I'm leaving school. We're leaving each other, you know, after these great, great few years together, nerding out about golf every night and every day. And I've always been one to kind of like throw, throw an umbrella term on something and then we'll figure it out later. So, you know, I was going to really miss these guys after college. And I was like sitting on the 16th hole at, Sugarloaf Mountain, I was like, why don't we call ourselves Sugarloaf Social Club? It'll give us sort of an incentive to to stick together after college, keep talking, you know, we'll create a, like a Facebook group and a group chat, a text message chain. And I was really inspired by bands like Bombay Bicycle Club and T- Tokyo Police Club. And so I was like, let's just call ourselves Sugarloaf Social Club. And so that was me and my two roommates, Jake Lambert and Peter Corbacus. And we all kind of went our separate ways after college, but we had, we had this like umbrella to keep us keep us motivated to stay together. So the idea was, it's just a friend group really. And sure. we were kind of collecting new people to add to this fold in each of our, our new cities. So, you know, Jake's meeting some new friends and Peter, you know, has some new buddies in Chicago. And so it turns into this like 12, 20 person group after a few years. One of those guys was a 12 or 20 person group doing what? Just exchanging emails? Just, just like, we're literally a private message board on Facebook and yeah. we go on one golf trip a year and there's like a big text. And are you just trip. talking golf or are you talking all kinds of stuff? This is you know, mostly just, just golf, hot okay. takes. I mean, this is like pre Instagram, you know, this is, sure. this is from like 2011 to 2013. But on the hill, I mean, I meet Harrison and we become good friends and, and 
long story short, he's ultimately the, the guy who we start the formal business structure of Sugarloaf Social Club. But, but back to like 2013, 2014, I actually leave Capitol Hill and go work for Billy Casper Golf's marketing arm, Buffalo Communications. I'll spend a few years there. So um, have, have this big golf nerd, have this golf group. Now I'm kind of working in the golf industry, you know, connecting with media. I'm kind of getting a taste of like the inside. A lot of, you know, brands coming through Buffalo and learning how to how to like launch brands and keep brands going. And I always wanted to work in branding. Like, that was my passion. After a few years of that, I'm opportunity to come back to Capitol Hill to be the communications director for the same congressman. And Harrison was, was the chief of staff. And our boss tells us in 2016 that he's, he's retiring. Pretty, pretty common. You know, there's a lot of turnover on Capitol Hill. It's, it's hard to stay up there forever. But Harrison and I, we look at each other and we're like, we can either find new jobs in Capitol Hill not a problem, super stable positions, pays all right. Or let's like moonshot this. Like I was doing some freelance work for Holderson Bourne when I was working on the Hill. I had this Instagram account that was that was already churning and, and becoming pretty popular. The Sugarloaf Social Club. That was the Sugarloaf Social Club. We started that probably in 2014. You know, I saw this this Instagram thing like I mean, people, like, back then it was just like another random social. I think you started even earlier than that. It was like we were probably one of the first golf accounts on, on Instagram. I was like, golf is a visual medium. People collect, you know, photos from the courses they go to, like Pokemon cards. This is going to be a huge deal. Well, because it's funny is you and I have never played golf. No. Ever. Yeah. However, I think I think we both kind of started on Instagram about the same time. Like we were early I, buddies. I think, <laughs> I, I think my I think my first social media thing for Bella Golfer may have been Tumblr. It was before Instagram, and it was it was it was it was awful. But the only reason I remember that not long ago, I actually I was looking through like old messages on Instagram, and you had messaged. I think I wrote one piece for Golf WRX years and years ago, and you messaged me when you were at Buffalo Group. Basically saying, hey, if you ever need, you know, an introduction to some of these brands, this is who I am. And it was right around that time that you started to get heavy into the Sugarloaf Instagram stuff. So yeah, I think it was all about that same time. Yeah, I, I remember, like, because it was, you know, it was the Wild West, basically. And, like, it was really much easier to find, you know, because it was such a smaller Instagram world back then. Like, I don't know, I'm living in D.C. and you're in D.C. And I'm seeing you go to all these, like, cool courses in the area. So I'm like, oh, this is... This is awesome. And, and Buffalo at that time, they didn't, they didn't, first of all, no, they didn't understand what I was trying to do with Sugarloaf. You know, they didn't understand like, and I didn't even really know, but I knew it was something with potential. And I knew that social media was going to be a huge part of like golf marketing. Were you trying movement. to introduce it to the team, the people at Buffalo? Like, Hey, I have something here. This is something we should take a look at. Yeah. They, they, they it, you know, maybe I had like 10,000 followers or something at, when I was at Buffalo and I just, was trying to convince them that this was like a powerful medium. Like this yeah. is probably like, we should be looking at like, you know, terrible word, but like influencers or, or people who, you know, have strong communities on social media who can like, can, we can connect brands with. And it was just early days. Like didn't yeah. really totally understand that. So, you know, and a lot of, there's a lot of people around me didn't really understand what, what Sugarloaf was. So, and it was kind of an evolving project, but you know, once we got, once I came back to Capitol Hill that second time with Harrison and we knew we had, we had something that was snowballing that was, that had, you know, strong following. We were wondering how can we take that magic and sort of help other brands? So that's when we formalized the business. 
why was it like what were you doing that was making it snowball like what you're this was i mean i remember like yeah. there was just pictures and and really well you know written kind of captions on on thoughts on golf but do you remember anything specific yeah so you know like i i like anyone in golf like we love logos and any great club has a cool logo for themselves and so you know once we once we created the Sugarloaf logo and we basically had like 20 guys in the cl in the club and minimum order on hats are 36 let's say so you know we have we have a dozen extra caps that we don't know what to do with and you know we have other people like hey that's cool can i can i buy that and so we were like this is like 2014 or 2015 just like having people paypal us for mm -hmm. that and then i was go to the post office and i was like we have to formalize this somehow because we started getting more merch for ourselves and extras and so once once we created a website and like made it a real thing and had like an official like shipping software and that's when it just started to snowball and like we had such small quantities right so they would kind of sell out like pretty quick so then that sort of was like a self-fulfilling prophecy basically i think that i think right there is kind of where the lesson is where it's truly organic like, like you didn't set out to make it a brand yeah you were literally just buying and making cool hats for your circle of friends and, and posting pictures of them, people were like, I want that. We had a brand, we had a luxury of having a brand build for years, basically, before we had anything to sell, you know? And so, like, there's no, you know, I think Sugarloaf has, like, a great deal of, of loyalty from from everyone who, you know, buys a hat or likes a post, and I think they believe we're, you know, honest, and the organic growth, the slow and organic growth has kind of always been our, you know, our motto, and yeah, it's, it's incredible, and... So so when you transition to the business, it's yep. essentially you and Harrison, or are there others involved? It's it's me and Harrison. So we set up an LLC called Sugarloaf Creative Lab. Like I remember sitting on the fourth floor of Longworth Building at Capitol Hill, and we're he 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 bought a drone, I bought a camera. We're gonna call ourselves Sugarloaf Creative Lab, and we're gonna go. The first order of business was to go down to to Tobacco Road to like film drone videos for their you know, for their website, basically drones had just come out on the scene. So like, all right, we're going to be like a video golf video company. And then we go to the did tobacco road, hire you to do that. Yeah. They, they let us come out there as sort of like a proof of concept or like, I Hey, can you. we have like carte blanche out there and we'll give you these assets in return. And that's Harrison. So yeah, it sounds like a no brainer now in 2021, but 2014, there weren't a lot of people doing that. Yeah. No, not a lot of like drones had like just come out basically. Yeah. And so, and then we went to the PGA show in January, 2017. Now we're, actually out of a job like the congress has ended we are totally on our own we have this like tiny tiny like merchandise operation but we're really trying to diversify you know the income and let's you know we're we're brand guys we help congressmen get reelected, and we are kind of the jack of all trades on the hill from a communication standpoint so i've got some golf chops like let's try to like you know put that recipe and go find some cool clients we believe in you know holderness and born was with us from from day one love those guys you know we we got we picked up a women's golf line called hedge right there at the pga show and that's when we're like all right we're off and running like this this might actually this might actually work and so yeah. so the concept of the business when when you and harrison sat down and said okay like did you guys come up with a business plan and kind of lay it all out and and what and i guess what a lot of people i would i would think think because i know i think i'm one of them was that it was about gear, swag, yeah. you know, putting putting other hats and shirts and stuff like that. But it was that's just half the component. The other half being 
doing this for other brands. Yeah, the, the Creative Lab is it's it's basically like a brand consulting, like everything that is underneath. Like, hey, we need help with our brands. Like, we can come in and give you advice on that, or make a new logo for you, or connect you with the right people. You know, figure out production issues and you know product planning. And so, yeah, we were. That's something we don't we don't talk about the creative lab was the, was the sugarloaf was the sugarloaf instagram account essentially your portfolio yeah so that's like that was the very public facing like look what we can do you know with sure. like look this is the but, I mean, you guys are fresh out of college you go you go to holderness born or you go to the, the the hedge company and you say we can we can fix your branding and help you with pr and they're like who the heck are you yeah exactly like there's a ton of leap of face that that went on i mean i think we had two things going over us one i had the the I can speak the lingo. I've been a golf nerd my whole life. Two, we had this this early early to market Instagram account that was bigger than a lot of other bigger brands at the time. Like I remember having more followers than like Golf Digest for a long time. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And so, and three, like having the the golf marketing background plus the Capitol Hill stuff. I mean, that's you know we're twenty six, twenty seven. Harrison's maybe thirty at the time. They people trusted us, and it's it's remarkable. Like. Looking back on that, like, you know, we weren't ever like dishonest about our, our abilities or what we could offer, but you know, we, this was, this was new to us. Like we didn't really know totally what we were doing. And then, you know, you do, you know, one thing leads to another. And then all of a sudden like Pinehurst is calling and Pebble Beach and PJ National and Mackenzie Golf Bags and, you know, clubs like <coughs> Saratoga Golf and Polo need a new look. So like, it's just been an incredible, incredible ride. And like, we really try to stay, you know, it's not about us. Like we are very like behind the scenes kind of guys. Sure. Like we want the brands to speak for themselves, you know, not, not these two random people who are kind of helping behind the scenes. Yeah. Let me ask you about one thing that I think a lot of people think about when they think Sugarloaf is you've got kind of an, an icon logo of your own, mm. the kind of the asset, they get the angular SSC yep. with the arrow going yeah. through it. And, and, you know, that seemed to be a part of what Sugarloaf was as a brand from the very beginning. Where did that come from? Who designed it? Was it you? Yeah, so I, I actually still have, like, the post-it notes of the scribble. So I'm at Buffalo at the time. Like, Sugarloaf has existed for many years, but we haven't had, like, a logo, like a real, you know, solid logo. And I've, I have this, you know, from being on Capitol Hill and giving tons of Capitol tours, there was this one bit of iconography in the old House of Reps room that's like these these like sticks that are bound bound by I think bound by a snake. And like the concept is like on their own, these little sticks are kind of loose and fragile and can't hold up anything. But when they're when they're bound together, this is something strong. It's a pillar and it can support, you know, granite building. And so I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like, you know, there's these people who are into Sugarloaf and in the club and like when we're, when we're together, like we're, it's like a strong, it's a strong thing. And I was, you know, the, the logo was like, okay, how are we going to get, I love, I love arrows. And I was like, how, like, you know, the arrowhead is like the three founders and the feathers, like the other original 10 guys. And like the SSC was like a snake, like binding like this arrow basically. And, you know, through a few iterations it it got broken out to what it is today. And the guy sitting next to me at Buffalo, I gave him, I, I didn't know illustrator from, you know, the guy across the road. Like it was, I, I didn't know how to turn a sketch that I had into like a digital asset. And the guy sitting next to me at Buffalo, 
was was a graphic designer and was really good with Illustrator. So I showed him my sketches, paid him a six pack, and then he gave this logo to us. And now like I'm super proficient in Illustrator and design logos all the time. But then like, it was just kind of this happenstance moment where I had an idea, I just need someone to like, do it on the computer for me. Well, well that's what's wild. We're going to be, we're, I think I have a feeling this conversation, we're going to be jumping yeah. back and forth on the timeline a lot, but that's fine. Because what I think is impressive about that in itself is, you know, you just mentioned, okay, Pinehurst is calling and Pebble Beach is calling. You've, you've been doing, you know, logos for some of the biggest golf properties in the country. I mean, arguably on the planet. I mean, Pebble Beach, they, 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 it's just Tiger Woods designed par three course, yeah. the hay, and you designed the logo for it. And so going back to this design of the SSC, did you have any kind of, you, you, did you study graphic, graphic design? Did you study, do you have any art artistic background whatsoever? Or you just kind of, you know, I, figured this all out on the fly. I was, I was always a creative kid. I just like shamelessly like love brands. Like I love logos and you know, that, that like growing up might've been like a materialistic sort of statement, but like, I definitely like own that now. Like I, I fucking love brands. And so I think just kind of absorbing like what made like marks, like, like why, why does the Ralph Lauren pony work so well? Or like, like those things just sort of like, like stuck in my head, I think as a kid and like, why are people so obsessed and almost treat brands like they're, they're, you know, football team or something. And yeah, I had no formal training, nothing. And so Illustrator, like fast forward to like work now, it's, there's a lot of collaboration um, that happens, but like it's, I'm an Illustrator every day and that's, that's basically the main software to like build logos. But yeah, so kind of just self-taught, I guess. It's really impressive. And, and so the dynamic between you and Harrison, you know, are you more the designer? Like what, what, what do you have certain roles? Or you guys kind of do a little bit of everything. Definitely. So Harrison, he's very much like, he's, he's, he's a great foil to my, like, let's do this. Let's do that. Like, I think every, every crazy creative person needs someone to be like, no, or yes, or sort of like can steer you in the right direction. He's, he's our like business development guy. He's the guy who can write the contracts, ask, no, knows our value, you know, ask for the numbers, keeps things on track, brilliant writer. And I'm, I'm kind of tasked with more the sort of like crazy ethereal, like come up with the, the wild, wild ideas. And you know, where we work super well together is like once a project gets started and we have that kind of that first brainstorm session, like those go on for hours, days almost about like particular logo or finding some piece of iconography that's going to make sense for this brand. We just work really well together. The, yeah. The, the, the wild thing about your story and why this is so interesting and why I'm so excited and, 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 and grateful that you're coming on the podcast here. But I, I shared this story with you before we started taping, but I'll share it for the audience. I, I reached out to, to the, through a different anecdote of, of me talking with uh, Michael McCartan, one of the founders of National Links Trust. And I told him that I was going to have you on and, and he kind of, he, he goes pretty far back with you. And he mentioned uh, two things. One, he told us an interesting story about how you met, but, but what, what, what he wanted to stress was how fascinating it was that, that so many people, every Tom, Dick and Harry who's into golf, 
who is either going through a midlife crisis or maybe they're maybe they're younger, maybe they just hate their jobs, but would 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 die to be in the golf industry or, or try to figure out a way to be in the golf industry. I know that's been my, I know that's been the case for me for many years. But to to actually create a career in the golf industry is is, is a successful one is incredibly hard. And what Mike said was what's in, what's incredible about Ian's story and the Sugarloaf Social Club story is that they were able to do it and, and, and have become really successful, but almost out of sheer enthusiasm for the game and, and, and all the different components of it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very kind of him. I mean, it's like we are stupid passionate about this stuff. Like all I ever wanted to do was to help brands and, and have my own brand. So that's, this is my, this is my dream. You know, I'm getting to, but if you, if you go on Instagram, yeah, I mean, literally, oh, every, yeah. literally every time I open up Instagram, there's a new, where they brand. give you like yeah. the suggested follows yeah. or maybe it's a sponsored follow. And, and you know, there's, there's golf brands that are probably guys with kind of similar story, yeah. uh, similar origin stories to you. There's thousands, thousands. And there's, there's, you could probably count on one hand if that with stories that are replicable to what you guys have been able to pull off. It's, you're right, every day there's a new golf brand that pops up that's like, we're cool, vintage, lifestyle, throwback or streetwear, but it's golf and like, we're to the bar and the club and you know, it's a mood board with 90s photos and like, yeah, every day those pop up. And I, 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 I do, there's some really sophisticated ones that seem to have a crazy creative appeal behind them. And there's others that are more just like passion sort of side hustles. You know, I think where we were successful, you know, we, we had this following for years. We built this brand before we even like had a brand basically. Sure. So that's, that's almost irreplicable unless you want to spend, you know, years and years and years really early on in, in Instagram, like creating, creating a persona. And then you can kind of transition into, you know, direct to consumer gear. I think the other thing is just like, we're really, we're, con we're conservative and diligent in the way like we do business. Like, you know, if you don't, if you think you can sell 48 hats, actually get 36 because you don't want to be sitting on that inventory is just money. That's going to not let you participate in like the next purchase of 36 more hats. So, you know, being very careful, about the the economics of it all you know people are like well what i can't get your stuff like it's always yeah. sold out and like yes that's a cool byproduct i guess of of sort of the system we're running but it's really about one if someone's buying something from us that has a sugarloaf logo like i want them to feel like that thing like has has value like they spend their hard-earned money on like sure. a sugarloaf thing like that should like carry it like some weighty intrinsic value and two like if we are stuck with a, you know, 20 extra hats, like we can't move forward out of that yeah, hole. Yeah. So, um, I want to, I want to, I want to have a few questions <laughs> and, and talk about, you know, the, the whole, the, you know, the merch shop and the swag and the drops and, and all that. But to close the loop on just oh, yeah. you, where, where you, you know, how you guys transitioned and made it, you know, I didn't want to make it sound like, uh, you guys were just kind of fir first out and, and, you know, first on the scene and that's why you made it. One of the one of the pieces, or one of the reasons I brought up uh, the conversation I had with Mike McCartan was, I think the story of how you guys met is, is relevant. 
in the fact that what he said was before you guys had ever met, you know, he had ri- he had written the I forget how, the thesis on yep. on the history of East Patel Park and, yep. and what it could be comparing it to St. Andrews and others as part of the community. I think the timeline that, that, that he said, and maybe correct me, was, you know, you're still relatively early to D.C., but as he tells it, you reached out to, to Tom Doak about East Potomac, like yep. making sure East Potomac was on his radar. And he said something along the lines of, you, you know, you need to get in touch with Mike McCartan. He's a D.C. guy. And before the two of you were able to connect maybe in person, yep. You happen to run into each other walking to a restaurant on 14th Street here in D.C. where you stopped him, not knowing who he was, but because he was wearing a hat that was the logo for Stream Song, and Stream Song wasn't even open yet. And if, if you hear Mike McCartan tell it, he'd tell you, he's like, nobody knew who Stream Song or what Stream Song was at, at that time. And so my, my point being is, A, you had the initiative to reach out to Tom Doe. Yep. And B, 99% of people aren't going to be able to stop Mike McCartan walking to that restaurant. And, and, and from there, you guys develop this relationship, helping, you know, visiting him down at Schoolhouse 9. It, it's crazy serendipitous. And that was like, you're right. I mean, when I'd reached out to Tom Doak, because just to go back a little bit, like Harris and I, we're on Capitol Hill. We're obsessed. We're, he honestly started golf like, a, like in 2011. Like, he's, like, new to the game. He learned to play here. And we just become obsessed with, like, this property. And, you know, like, we're, you know, we have a ton of access to resources up there. And we're, like, you know, looking through the, you know, the, the Library of Congress, like, what they've got on, the, on East Potomac. And we're just getting super hyped about it. And we find this old aerial that you've seen from, like, the 20s where, it's like, tons of principal nose bunkers. And we're, like, what? This place used to, like, be insane. And there used to be reversible. And, like, we couldn't believe it. And yeah, I reached out to Tom Doak, actually about here and Culver Academies, which was my other like great love in, in golf life, and to see if he wanted to like come down and look at that place for a possible restoration. Um, but yeah, he's like, hey, this guy who works for me lives in DC, like you should connect with him. And like before I did that, you're right, like I run into Mike McCartan with my wife at Matchbox on 14th Street. And Stream Song is probably just a pile of dirt at that point. I don't know how I even like had seen the logo somewhere on some message board. But yeah, it was just like crazy coincidence, sure. I, and that I, I, that kind of kicked off a lifelong friendship. Yeah, well, I think the point of the story is always all you, know, you, you make your own luck. You got you got to you yeah. got to you got to know what you're looking. I believe for. in manifest yeah. destiny. Absolutely. Honestly, sure. like that's that's what's up. Absolutely. So, Sugarloaf, you know, for 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 those that that that, that don't know, you know, you guys have. Seemingly, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't know the numbers, but, but seemingly, you guys have a wildly successful kind of merch business going. Yep. I think a lot of, the, a lot of the people that are listening to this that do know you, are, who, who you are, and have been following you, have probably um, bought a lot of your stuff or failed in buying your, your stuff because it sells, <laughs> sells out so fast. You know, you, you talked a bit about, you know, you know, you know, buying, you know, less than you need and, and that sort of thing. But what's, what's, what I find impressive about what you guys do. Having, you know, I tried to get into the merch game a little bit. I, I still, I still, bellwaygolfer.com, you still buy a couple things. I bought some but stickers I, from you. You did, you did. But what I found, fa- I, I came up with a couple shirts, and what I found is it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, a terrible business. Not, not only is it hard to, it's hard to come up with something good, it's hard to sell it. It's hard, you know, you think, you think you maybe had a good idea, and you realize that was actually a terrible idea. And what you guys do is you guys come up with, it rarely is the same thing twice. Right. We've really never repeated product. Maybe we've ordered it again just because, but it's, you're right. Like if there's an archives page on our website hidden at the bottom with like 
all the old gear so you can see i don't know how many like hundreds of things we've done but i mean basically you know we only make stuff that we want you know it's like well my white hat is yellow i need a new white hat like then we'll go do a white hat and so that's sort of like you hear that from like kind of successful like creators all the time like if you just kind of make things that you think are interesting or you think are cool or you want to wear good chances are like other people will will bite on as well yeah i i honestly like as crazy as this ride has been the growth we've seen like i feel like we haven't even scratched the surface with what i want to do so it's it's i'm really excited for next year honestly the, the the way you guys sell your merchandise and sell it sell it fast and you know i can tell just as an outside observer how loyal your your your, your fan base is how they engage with 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 your accounts on social media you know you've got you've got accounts on social media that are just like fans of your clothing <laughs> yeah. if you look at circle social club on ebay you know, there, there's tons of listings, people reselling your stuff. I would imagine that some of the, the larger brands in the golf world and otherwise are paying attention. I, I think so. It's, it's, it's been a success. I would say it's not the best business if, to be in if you're looking to like get rich, basically. Sure. Like it's so you know, we've luckily we've had this creative lab side of, of, you know, the business that we work for clients and that, that helps like buoy sort of the, the stress, I guess, that's on like the merchandise side of things. But yeah, I mean, you know, early on we did some, you know, we did a thing with Callaway and we did a really cool collection with Penguin and like big brands are latching on to these kind of smaller upstart cool golf brands like manners which is a brand in uh the uk they did an awesome collaboration he golf recently east side golf they just did a shoe with jordan like it's it's crazy like and that's why it's not like like i think we feel calm we could go into nike or any room and be like let's do something cool and like that's it's been fun honestly to work with big brands <laughs> on cool collabs you being a, you know, you, you talked about how you're, 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 you're just really into brands. Yeah. And I think what, what you, what, one of the reasons you guys have been so successful and, and, and somewhere like Eastside and, and, and other things is it's not just, okay, here's some, here's some cool clothing. Right. Let's just drop it. Yeah. You know, and people are, are obsessed. Like, it's not that easy. The, one of the reasons you guys have been so successful clearly is you guys have created, I don't know if vibe is the right word, but, but something that, you know, you probably have a better, better word for it. But, you know, whether it be through what you're posting on social media, you know, what you're writing about it, the, the message that you're getting across, but also some of the other things like like the hidden gem map yep. that, 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 and, and, and the, the properties and, and people and things within the golf world that you're shining a light on. Yeah, the, the merch is just like this happy accident that goes along with what we really love, which are finding cool golf courses, which kind of fall under like our hidden gem umbrella and that that concept seems to really resonate with people and and really at like the heart of it and i mean even goes to like why we love east potomac so much you know we felt that you know early on with instagram there was a lot of emphasis on like top 100 courses and golf porn and you know have you playing all these fancy places and like we're just a young kid who can only afford to play this place. Like, let's find out like why East Potomac is so cool. Yeah. And it's got 
you know, golden age architecture history, reversible, like it's a national park. It's got this incredibly egalitarian fabric to the community here and helping people <coughs> feel empowered to love their like local dirt patches mm -hmm. as much as say going to Piners number two or national golf links, like making people proud of their like community courses and then feeling empowered to like, well, maybe there are other, you know, munis or little part three courses like within my area that I should go check out. And so, you know, I think what we've done a good job at is like empowering people to like be comfortable with who they are and not sort of be a sheep to what someone else is saying is good. You know, go find, go find something you're proud of that, you know, that other people don't necessarily see. So I think we've been able to kind of shed light on, you know, kind of underrepresented cool spots. And that, that trend is definitely like caught on. You get, you must get people sending you courses all the time. I do. I do. Yeah. You know, before it makes on a list, like definitely have either me, I haven't played all those courses or some of the other guys in Sugarloaf will be like, this needs to go on there basically for these reasons. And yeah, it's people send us hidden gem suggestions all the time. And, you know, if, if I can kind of validate that it's cool between a few other people, like, well, we'll throw it on there. And that, that map has been awesome. I mean, I remember Eric Anders Lang was like, telling me he was using that to like plan his, his trip. So it's definitely proliferated into, into a resource that others, others use. Is there, is there pressure to, I don't know, add, are you ever reached out, are you ever contacted by courses themselves? No, no, actually that's never happened. I mean, I think these places, most of them are just, they're kind of either stuck in a time warp or mm -hmm. so off the map where it's not even on their radar. Like, and like when we go to courses, like I love to be like anonymous. Like I don't tell them like, Hey, I'm Sugarloaf. I'm coming to your spot. Like, just show up and be a normal person and like maybe ask permission to fly the drone if need be. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, like did that trip to Nebraska recently. Like we were in Maine a few summers ago, kind of unearthing some cool spots there. I guess the point is like this country is so, it's got so many cool different courses out there. You've got big fancy yeah. resorts, then you got little pitch and putts, you know, and they they can all have their like, virtue and value i think to the it, it is the what i think it helps as well is you know i get frustrated sometimes with so many golf conversations when you talk to people it's it's just it's almost like a tit for tat if you played this course and you played that course and and again yeah it's all it's it's the destination courses the top 100 courses yeah. and it's almost like it's your resume and if you haven't played some some course on the other side of the country, then somehow you you're less of a golfer. Oh, you haven't right? played Cypress Point, like right. who are you? Right, exactly. And what some of it does is it it all of a sudden makes you feel more more prideful or give more respect to some of the local courses that even yourself may have not given. I'll give you an example. Yep. Uh, there was one I saw this. So growing up as a kid. My family, we used to go to Maine, and we, but we used to go to, it was, I don't know if it's considered central Maine, but it's in the Rangeley Lakes region, cool. good uh, two, three hours west of the coast. And right up from the town that we always used to go to, it was called, it's called Weld, Maine, on a little, little lake called Webb Lake, there was a nine-hole golf course up the street called Wilson Lake Country Club. It wasn't a country club. It was, you know, it was, I, I can't remember what we paid, but it was probably 10 bucks a round. But every, every summer, I played it, played it a couple times. I hadn't thought about that course in years. Yep. Until I was looking at your hidden gem map, and there it was. And it's some, you know, there's, there's some designer that I, I, you know, old school architect that I, I didn't know. But just the seeing on there, all of a sudden, I had this like, 
Oh, I was playing this, you know, I was playing the gem back in the day. I didn't even know it. Yep. No, I mean, that, that it's, you don't know what you, like, as a kid, you don't, like, know what you have kind right. of at the time. Like, even me growing up in Chicago, like, I, that's one of the great golf cities in the country. I kind of just played the same few courses. Like, I didn't really, like, venture outside of my, like, little neighborhood, you know? And it, 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 it's funny how that, I mean, one of my favorite courses, though, is Ravislow Country Club, which was, like, the the kind of neighboring uh, country club and that was this little Donald Ross course and incredibly cool but that's you know there's these kind of like uh, pivotal points I think back to of like okay I grew up on Flossmoor Country Club and everyone says Flossmoor is cool and everyone's like Olympia Fields is the best course but I kind of liked Ravislow like and that was like as like a 11 12 year old like that was kind of like a weird hot take in that town so turns out you know, one of Andy Johnson's like favorite courses in the Chicagoland area too. And like, you know, wasn't, wasn't wrong, but I think, you know, empowering people to like look back to the places they play with more pride or finding something to be proud of at their, their current like goat track, I think is important. Do you guys pay attention to, I, I don't need metrics or anything or numbers, but do you guys pay attention to like, are people using that hidden gem map? Like, do you, are you seeing the clicks and the and the, and the website traffic that I, people are using quite a bit? We, I don't. I don't ever look at the the website traffic, but like anecdotally, like people will be like, "I just played all your hidden gems in Florida," or my wife and I, you know, just hit up those three or something. So like, we get notes all the time that people people use it, and so that's that's pretty amazing. And like, we also get notes that like it's kind of inspired people to get back into the game or through Sugarloaf, they saw a guy with the Sugarloaf logo and they now are, have a new best friend sort of thing. Like this sort of, you know, that signal Sugarloaf logo, hidden gem mat connections happen all the time. Yeah. That's interesting. Another, another piece that, um, uh, certainly on, on Instagram and social media, you guys, the, the hashtag player perish. Yep. Yeah, you put I put that a lot of a lot of swag and yep. merch and stuff as well. But it, it derives from a passage in a book, The Links by Robert Hunter, which I finally just read not that long ago within the, within the past six months. How did how did when did you read that? How did you because it's it's that that passage is towards the end of the book. Yeah, it's like after can, the book has ended, you basically. can easily miss it. Right, and you've turned and it's not and he doesn't even say player pairs. Right, it's actually it's something slightly different. But you've turned that into. I don't even know what the word is, but but, but yeah, I think we're tagging everything. Player perish all over all over Instagram. Yeah, I mean, like golf, like having like a motto for your like club or community. It's like that's that's nothing new. And so I was like, well, what's what's Sugarloaf like maxim gonna be? And yeah, that that story is is literally like it's almost like after the final chapter in the link yeah. in the links and he's talking about this experience he had. Do you mind if I go into the story of how of the passage? So yeah, Robert Hunter is in on holiday in Germany. And I think at the, the hotel he was staying at, there was, you know, promise of a golf course in this mm -hmm. hotel. And so he's like all pumped up. He's like, wow, I'm going to go on vacation. We're going to play some golf. This is great. Shows up at the hotel and well, it's just like a little par three pitch and putt course. And he's like, he's like disappointed or let down or something. And he spends the next few days just kind of like sulking and, and pouting basically until he's just kind of like bored enough to give it a try. And his, his, his takeaway was like, well, even, even a small course can be extremely thrilling. Like, 
you know, if you play a 50 yard hole and then you go to a 110 yard hole, well, that 110 yard hole now feels long and exhilarating. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think the, the point is like, there's, there's great, you know, passion and fabric to be found in golf, big, big or small. And, and he sort of said something to the effect like one inoculated with the golf virus would, would rather like play than perish basically. Right. Like, and so I was like, Oh, play or perish. Like, this is this is this is something behind it. This has some meat behind it. Sure, I know it's it's impressive how that's 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 kind of taken off and and how you know followers and fans of Sugarloaf have really kind of got behind that that phrase. But what I also also found that interesting, like I, I'm not I'm not great at reading really old books. You know, I, I I have a lot of books. I'm not the most avid reader in the world, but I like looking at them. But I but I but I read what I my takeaway from that book. I thought it was it was really impressive, but it was. It's written in the 20s, I think, yep. or early 30s. Yep. And the amount of topics that, if you didn't know when it was written, could have been written last yeah. year. Yeah, if I told you that was Jeff Shackelford's book from three years ago, you'd probably believe me. I like, mean, there's several pages where he's talking about controlling ball distance. Yep. Which is something that, that's... Uh, if you look <laughs> at, like, Mackenzie's books, and I, everyone is concerned about distance, like, even yeah. 100 years ago, and it's just... It's wild that is still like a prolific topic like that. Right. And you're right. There are others in there as well that are like, you know, core course maintenance or things are too hard for the average player or pace of play stuff. And yeah, it, it feels very contemporary, even though it's a hundred year old book. Ab- absolutely. And going to the architecture side of it, you yep. know, the, 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 the fact that, you know, through the I don't even know what the, the stretch of time was, but like the 60s, 70s and 80s, maybe 90s weren't considered necessarily the best time for golf course architecture because you know the 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 the, the artistry and design of the courses wasn't the priority it was more you know the, the, the developments around it and that sort of thing that you know if tom doak or somebody's writing a book on architecture today it would read very similar the way that he was writing back then which is just it's fascinating yeah i i encourage everyone if they can find a copy of the links by robert hunter to i know prices have kind of shot up i think in recent years but well usda I think that uh, printed a whole bunch. Oh, good, so you good, can, good. You can buy super cheap. I bought it for like. Okay, $5. excellent. I, I don't. I don't have an original copy. I, I think those are those, are those are worth a lot of money. Early on in this conversation, you you said you said the word that I think some people, I don't know if it's considered a bad word or not, but you said influencer. Mm. You also mentioned a recent Nebraska trip that you yep. went to. So I, I put those two things together because I, I would. Just based on, I, I don't know you that well. This is the longest conversation we've ever had. But I, but, but, but knowing well enough that I, I'm guessing you don't like that. You don't like the label of as an influencer. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a dirty think, word, basically. We, like, the reason why this is, like, pretty much some of the only press we've ever done. Like, we're, we're inherently shy. We want the brands that we work for and our own brand to speak for itself. And we're kind of behind the scenes sort of guys and so you know i like really reluctant for there ever to be like a a cult of personality around sugarloaf i want people to look at the brand and kind of find the best pieces that make sense for their life rather than oh this is like ian gilly's like company sort of thing that being said yeah (laughs) yeah you went on a trip to Nebraska, you mentioned some of the trips i mean you did like a a hidden gem scouting trip of the adirondacks and going up to maine but the one I want to talk about is the one you just did recently to Nebraska. Yep. Because you did kind of, you know, how many courses did you do? I think it was like nine like or something. Nine, 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 like played five, seven, saw nine, something like that. Four or five days. Yeah. 
It was like it was like two and a half days, basically. And you kind of you did you did long form writing. Yep. In Instagram within the captions. Yep. Um, but it was really well done. Nebraska, you know, is probably not on anybody's, sh- or I say, what wasn't on anybody's short list of, of necessarily golf destination. You know, there, uh, there's you know the Sand Hills and, and Landman's getting ready to open yep. next year. However, the courses that you visited, you know, I I didn't know. I don't think I knew any of them. To be yep. honest with you. And I think a lot of people, you know, unless they uh, grew up or have been in Nebraska quite a bit, most people didn't know these courses. The way, the pictures that you took, the descriptions of them, I imagine there was some golf trips booked after that. Definitely. And if that's not influencing, I don't know what. It's yeah, like. no, I, I, it's it's we've had a positive influence on the game of golf. There's no doubt about that. And that trip, that trip came together in three days. So we, our son is about to turn one. So we've this entire year kind of been all about the baby kind of hindering hindering golf trips to a degree and combine that with the pandemic so you know come october i'm like itching to do something you know big and i talked to my wife and i'm like when could i go for like a three-day trip to nebraska i think nebraska is like an untapped like cool public state and she was looking at the calendar she was like well this weekend and i was like oh my god okay so i had to like i planned that trip in a few days flew it Took a red eye into Denver, landed at midnight, stood in a car rental line for three hours. It was a horrible experience. Got a pickup truck. My first course, I'm supposed to be playing at 8 that next morning. I drive halfway, sleep in a truck stop, get up, drive the last two hours. Like, Nebraska is this crazy vast state. Have you ever been? Never. And so I'm flying into Denver, and I'm going to fly out of Omaha. It's the first thing in the entire state. And I almost And I go all north and south anyway yeah it was this it was a cool experience it was like a solo golf trip crammed into three days and to your point about the instagram posts this is the first time we've ever kind of broken that third person like Mm -hmm. we sort of you know how we write the copy as like a a group and i was like i'm on a solo trip the only way to write this copy is from a first person perspective so like i had to like it was uncomfortable. I had to like name myself and be like, I did this and I was here. But my, my goal with that project was like, what if like every, I'm going to max out the words on Instagram allows like 2,200 characters or something. And so I didn't even realize there was a limit. I've never been close to that. You know, whatever, like, I don't know that times, however many posts, like it was, it was a lot of writing, but is this this cool Three, like I, I almost encourage people to like consider a solo golf trip, you know, like it was really like cathartic and there are hour stretches between these, these courses and Nebraska looks like the moon. I mean, it's just like, you could build a hundred thousand stream songs out there. Like it's unbelievable. The, the landscape for golf. Um, and yeah, it's just beautiful weather. I mean, I loved it. It was incredible. Well, one, of, one of the things I was getting at, I, I, on a couple podcasts ago, I interviewed a gentleman named Andrew Sonya, who was kind of, he, he started a sustainability consultancy here in DC, but he was, he was talking about his history in golf. And he, at some point he was working for the state of New Mexico. And he talked about a, a stat that the, I don't remember if it was the chamber of commerce, commerce, but something in, for, through the state of New Mexico where like, a 1% increase in rounds in the state of New Mexico had this like really significant impact on the local economy. And when you get, and I'm just, I'm just watching your Nebraska trip and seeing the interactions. And I mean, I don't know, every time you post it, you know, tons of comments of people just like blown away by what they're seeing and people haven't heard about this, you know, 
there, there, there's like, and you, you have an account with um, 36, 37,000 followers or something, you know, you, you may have just impacted Nebraska's economy. <laughs> never, I never really thought about it like that. But, you know, it, I think if Sherla, like, I do think of the holistic, like, like golf economy, you know, kind of at the very end of like this 50 year Sugarloaf project. Like if, if, if we've inspired one person to play one more round or to explore one more course, like those are like micro impacts into this, this greater golfing economy. And it adds up. I mean, it's like Instagram and golf are, are peanut butter and jelly. Like it's a perfect marriage of social media and, you know, encouraging younger people who are now making a little more money to, to travel to places or to seek out cool spots or to fly halfway across the world, you know, to go to a, a place that they saw, you know, some other account post about. So yeah, it's amazing. Do you, I mean, what about some, some almost like some, some pointers or advice for, for other folks that are trying to kind of do something similar. And, and the reason I ask is, is you do, you guys do things, you've already touched on a few of them, but things a bit differently. I mean, you, you really, aside from player parish, you don't really use hashtags. Mm-hmm. Instagram has the shop capability where you can like yep. link your shop and, and tag your stuff. You guys have a wildly successful shop, but don't use that feature on Instagram. Yep. You, you're only really on one social media channel. I don't think you have a Twitter or nope. Facebook or anything like that. Why, why, why the hell does that all work? It's funny because like some things we do for Sugarloaf is not what we might advise a client to do, you know? And so I think being a bit iconoclastic and just being ourselves and only doing things that we feel comfortable with, like being, being yourself, being original. I think if you stick to that, it's really, it's really hard. Everyone's looking for a silver bullet. Everyone's trying to copy what someone else did who seems successful. Like, you know, we, we played the long game. We played the hard game. We've left who knows how much money and opportunities on the table. And, you know, the payoff there is, is brand loyalty and something that feels much stickier than like a, a quick hit sort of, you know, opportunistic play. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of the secret sauce is like, you got to do things the hard way, you know? And if that means foregoing, you know, you know, financial opportunities or actual like, you know, opportunities, it's, we've left a lot on the table and, you know, it's, it's always kind of paid off for us in the long run. So that's kind of how we think of things. Let me ask a question about some of the merchandise again. What, give me just a kind of a more fun question. Yeah. What are, what are, have you give me an example of something that uh, you guys dropped that either outperformed what you thought or underperformed or, and and underperformed? Yeah. Like was something that you released like holy crap that sold out way faster than we thought. No, it's funny and, and vice versa. Yeah, it's uh, pe- people ask this question like what's your best selling like product or something like that, and it's it's kind of too hard to say you know when there's a lot of like things that are just kind of selling out quickly. I would say like the stuff that surprises me is is sometimes there's like really expensive stuff like like putter we did with tp mills it was like a thousand bucks or something or a thirteen hundred dollar leather mckenzie golf bag like that's those have all worked you know i think some of the things that you know we've learned some lessons like we did some some white kids polos a couple years ago and well like white and kids doesn't really work very well you know like parents are kind of shy to maybe buy a, a stark white thing for their child so you know we we, we, we've tried a bunch of stuff most of it's worked i mean sometimes it comes down to like we did some flip-flops five or six years ago leather flip-flops and like beautiful craftsmanship really cool looking but they're really uncomfortable and so like 
that was a that was a fail in my mind if someone's like complaining like they're you know they're giving their you know yeah. toes like a rash or something and so usually you know there's clothing is like when there's sizes involved like there's gonna be misses from time to time like things just don't fit yeah. certain people well so um yeah i don't know if that Do totally you, answers your question but no yeah. Do you see one one of the I think one of the first times we actually met was at how many years ago this was but it was a there was a pop up oh, yeah. did down near Is that a Reed Wall? Maybe. I don't I don't I didn't know the, the store. Shop, it was near 930 Club. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, but so I'm getting it but so you you're doing some, like some pop up kind of shops like do you see yourselves kind of getting into brick and mortar retail kind of thing? It would be it would be really cool to get into to, to build out like a dream, like what does a Sugarloaf shop look like? Like that would be awesome. I think the realities of, of the merchandise game are like, there's just, that's such an expensive monthly bite into your, your overall profits or, or in incoming revenue. It, it almost seems like impossible unless there is some extreme rapid growth or investment, you know, brick and mortar, you know, I think like Sugarloaf, cool. We have like, a bunch of like friends and people on the internet and like from all over bringing the internet and Instagram to, to, to real life is like the next step. And you're, you're seeing that from a couple of cool Instagram brands, like Patrick Keegan's got his, his field day social club in Chicago. Like he just built a brick and mortar store in his hometown in Illinois. Beautiful. There's like a barber and cool, cool wares and whatnot. And, you know, gimme golf club in St. Louis, they just built a indoor simulator shop, clubhouse cool hang sort of thing and it would be amazing to do something like that we're just spread so thin with time and i don't know how you make the rent work unless you look at like a really inexpensive market um in some far off destination but yeah i think having like a little corner of somewhere would be awesome i mean right now you're basically operating out of uh, what do you call it sugar shack yeah sugar shack so we have (laughs) storage unit yeah it's i mean there were there were days when my wife and i were shipping out of our sunroom but now yeah we have a 10 by 30 storage unit in reston that's you know we decorate it and looks kind of fun and there's lights in there and stuff but that's that's our warehouse and shipping apparatus so and that's like a pretty affordable monthly rent i guess so but yeah we've done we've done some fun pop-up shops and hope to do some more of that for yeah, sure very cool no i mean it's it's especially since it's just the two of you guys in, incredibly impressive especially the fulfillment stuff i, I you know i i I can only imagine kind of the volume that you're going through based on what I see on the internet. But again, you, you know, my foray into something similar, you know, <laughs> I would fall behind days at a time just trying to fulfill like three hats. It's, it's, you know, my, when it was like doable, when you're only dealing with 30 or 50 or 70, you can knock that out on a couple a day or an mm-hmm. afternoon or night, you know, especially if you have no kid. My wife and I are just watching TV and can, can pack orders. This is many years ago. When it starts to get to significant numbers and there's like in our last drop, let's say there were seven head, seven colors of head covers, driver and fairway. So we're at 14 different SKUs plus two colors in a hoodie with four sizes each. Like, and you can see that go on and on and on where there's like, you're picking and packing in order with like four or five things from all these, it just takes time is basically what I'm saying. And so that's, that's been a, a hole we've had to figure out how to plug is like, Ian cannot be spending seven days straight, like packing orders when there's like 
I could be thinking about the next drop or helping with clients on other projects. So we are hiring someone to help with our fulfillment and it logistics. It seems like your time and talent is worth more than that. It's 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 a been a real like what if if my if I'm freed up from that, like what happens to Sugarloaf? Like that's an exciting sure. idea. So and but I love I love I also like love packing. Like I know it sounds silly, but like it's you're like seeing these names come through and like grabbing this and like you just kind of know you're delivering these sure. little bits of joy like all over the world really like yeah. it's australia and japan and great britain and that's like so cool to like be at that final touch point of of sending these little you know packages off into the world yeah yeah i've seen that just uh, just uh, obviously on a much 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 smaller scale but but then you also it's like you're taking somebody's instagram handle and they become a real person yep. and all of a sudden there's a name and an address and they're actually buying something you can add a little note or throw in a couple you know some some extra stickers or tees or something it's awesome it's it's really yeah it's it's <laughs> it's fun honestly but you're right I need, I need that time back to do other things so i want to ask some questions just about you know, you know golf in this area and, and dc and stuff like that but since we're since we're talking about you know the future of, of sugarloaf like do, let me just ask that broad question you know it's it's almost like an interview question you know in a job or something like that or, or a college application <laughs> where do you where do you where is Sugarloaf Social Club in five years? It's it, it is a it is a good question because it's not there's no whiteboard or business plan that that kind of says where do we want to be because we're we still feel like young and we're figuring things out on the fly and yeah we've been successful but there's so much more we want to do you know in terms of gear and clothes and all that I think you know getting deeper into you know custom private label and like our own design stuff from the ground up like where we have some fleece coming fleeces coming out where we you know every little piece we picked and the, and the way it fits and all the buttons and the tags and so becoming more grown up and professional and on that sort of like like clothing side of things i think we you know are, are we've always wanted to build a golf course like that's no secret and it's that's something we want to seriously start like getting into conversations about you know my my dream is, you know, I think the DC market is totally like underserved for cool golf experiences. And there's, there's a ton of, there's a ton of wealth in the four counties that surround the city, as you know. So like, where is this area's like Dunes Club or Sweden's Cove, you know, and Harrison and I love Virginia. We are very bullish on the state of Virginia and it's kind of untapped in terms of like, why isn't the Shenandoah Valley, like the Hudson Valley in New York or the, you know, like what, like, so I think, the way we see this area growing from a, from a tourism perspective or golf perspective or everything but like like we think there's going to be a great migration of wealth and creatives into these small virginia towns that are still hanging on by a thread as as you know fiber and internet becomes more prolific in these small towns if the pandemic's taught us anything is like you can work from anywhere sure. so the why not work? probably sped that up a bit yeah know? exactly so that's kind of off off track a little bit but like we would like i really think there's there's enough appetite in this area to support like a nine hole really well done overnight situation in the shenandoah valley or in the blue ridge mountains so that's kind of our our co-dream i think we have a bit of different opinion of where where it should be like i think it should be within like 90 miles of of the center of dc you know where harrison definitely subscribed to the like well, if you build a Sweden's Cove, like, I think they'll come, you know, if you build a man in dunes, um, 
people will be crazy enough to come all the way to see a cool golf course. So yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's what we want to do. I mean, ultimately that's probably one of our big, big projects. And like, what's awesome about, you know, I'm so excited to see, and it seems to be super successful, like Zach Blair's project in South Carolina, like if that proves anything, it's, it's going to show like, here's someone, yes, he's a professional golfer, but has an Instagram personality. And now he's building a serious golf course venture and he's not going to stop with just one course. So, and he essentially Ray, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this. I haven't been following it that closely, but he essentially raised money for it through promoting it on Instagram. That's, that's probably part of it to build like we're, we're not idiots. Like to build a golf course, we need some serious pockets and some serious investment behind that. And but, we also, we also, uh, most people, uh, you know, real followers of Sugarloaf know this and, 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 and golf fanatics, but for those that don't, we didn't close the loop. The namesake course oh, outside yeah. of Orlando yeah. is no longer with us. It's not. That was a casualty of, of the recession. Florida was hit super hard back in 08, 09. And it's, it's, we don't really know the status of it. It's always, we can never really crack like who the current owner is or, or, you know, what's, what's the status, like, what's it going to be turned into? And, you know, my parents live like just five miles down the road. We're going back for Christmas. Like I'm definitely going to sneak over there again and see, see what's going on. But from what I understand, like there's been no development on it and it's a core Crenshaw course that's been lost. That's only 20 miles from the center of like a major city. Like it's almost seems crazy. Like I think if sugar, like Sugarloaf Mountain was just like in the right place at the wrong time. Like Instagram didn't exist. The Great Recession hits. If if Sugarloaf Mountain was in danger of closing like today, like there would be a groundswell of Instagram support, sure. almost like a campaign around like don't yeah. close Sugarloaf Mountain. Like we cannot lose a modern core crunch course. Like that's a there's only a handful of these in the world. Like that's a that's a real shame. I would imagine your mind has drifted. I mean, they they just you know rebuilt the the, the Lido in in Wisconsin. Yep. You know, if we could sugar, figure out a way, sugar, sugar loaf in the Blue Ridge Mountains. <laughs> yeah, it would be amazing if if we could somehow figure out how to bring Sugarloaf Mountain back in Florida. Like that would be that's an that'd be an awesome project. But we also I think we just like love Virginia so much. We want to see you know, a gift to the golfing world that is like uniquely like Virginian, I guess. So let's talk about local golf. This is Beltway Golfer. You, you are, you know, hidden gem experts, connoisseurs, you know, what are, what are some, there's the few that are on your map. Yep. You know, East Potomac here is on your map. Yep. Vista, Schoolhouse 9 is on your map. Yep. Vista Lynx. Yes. Which I bet you a lot of people have not been to. Yeah. It's a little bit out of the way. <laughs> yeah. That's the one I, I the, my only time I've played with Harrison I met him for nine at Vista. Oh, nice! I didn't. And, I didn't know that. And, and enjoyed um, it quite a bit. Yeah, Vista Links. The and he lives like right there, basically. The way we kind of came around to finding out about that course was, I'm a big like Google Earth guy. Like that's I've spent I spent so many hours like a week just like, because like, you're bound to find golf courses that are kind of like off the map just by like Google Earth thing. Like okay, there's a population center. It's bound to be some golf courses. Like you can kind of see green space from the satellites pretty easily. But yeah, we were Harrison and Aaron Rank, our other buddy. We were at Wintergreen for some reason, and we were looking for a place to play the next day. And they found this course on one side of the mountain. And I was like, saw this Vista Lynx thing, and I was like, this just looks cool. Like this Google, God, God, God trust me. Like on the satellite image, it just looks interesting. So yeah, we made our way down there, played it kind of like our minds were blown because it's, you've been there, it's not in the best shape. 
by but any stretch cool. of imagination. But it's like this, it's, it's this anomaly because it's like a, it's a municipal course, modern course, but it's like a Lynx course, but it's on the side of a mountain. And there's just incredible, beautiful vistas, really good architecture. Yeah. And it's got elevation a, change, a lot of elevation, a lot of really nice, you know, mounding and, and you know, all that. And then it, Turns out we get like Tom Boak's, Tom Doak's confidential guide, one of the new ones, and I think it was for summer destinations. And he's listing like the top five munis in like the South region, and he lists Vista Links. And we're like, whoa, like this is on the confidential guides radar. But yeah, it's a bit of a, you know, probably an underfunded and mismanaged sort of sort of course. But like, I think it's really cool. It's for off eighty one. I mean, it's we. I've had really fun rounds. <laughs> I guess. Do you do you think that you influenced Tom Doak on that? I don't I don't think so. I think it was just it was just like we couldn't believe we're seeing this random named course that we just thought was cool yeah. in this book. So um almost like validating that sure. our our sort of little discovery. But yeah, I mean another I know you were talking about like the triangle a little bit, like going down to Richmond. I really love Pendleton in this yeah. area. Like I think that is if that's not on our map, it should be. I think it is. It to me, that's like, I think the guy who did it was Gary Players, like architect for the player design firm, and it's like it almost feels like a Strands course. There's a there's a couple. I, I'm not gonna be able to remember which holes, but there, like there's one green in particular on the front nine. Yeah, like seven or something. Yeah, multiple levels where you can you can you can the the hole can be behind you. And you can putt away from you, and it'll go down this long, sweeping. It's it's very like tobacco road in that. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, and I think that that one to me is like, you know, there's a lot of like golden age talk on Sugarloaf, but like there's some cool like public modern stuff too, and I think that's that's yeah. one of them. And Vista Links, honestly. Oh, the other one I really like is in Afton, Virginia. It's called Swananoa Golf and Country Club. It's on top of a mountain. Like their motto is like, "It's ten degrees cooler up here," because it's like. Probably the highest course in Virginia. And I don't even like, know where that is. It's cash only. You gotta go check. It's uh, like thirty minutes um, west of Charlottesville in Afton, and it's it's the only place I've ever seen a bear in Virginia. Like, it's, yeah. and you're very much like in the Shenandoah Park. It's cool. Nice Swananoa. Swananoa. I've yep. not been there. I'll have to yep. check it out. You don't have it. I did notice this that you don't have any courses on your hidden gym map in the state of Maryland, mm. although. You just uh, just recently visited and had some really uh, good things to say about a municipal course in, gosh, I think it's Anne Arundel County. Eisen- yeah, Eisenhower. Eisenhower. Yep, we're definitely going to be adding that one. Really cool. It's Andrew Green, who's on this serious role with Congressional and Inverness. I know he's got a ton of other incredible projects, too. Like, somehow, some way, the county, Anne Arundel County convinced him to, to redo their Eisenhower course, which I believe was an alt design. And he came in there and did something really interesting. He basically built them a modern championship golf course with no bunkers, with the theory being this is going to cut down your maintenance costs and it's going to cut down the you know, pace of play and the frustration from the normal golfers. And there's there's still enough like architectural like substance out there where it's incredibly engaging and super interesting. Yeah, I love that place. Yeah. Have you played there yet? I have, yeah. I, 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 I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's really cool. Changing gears, you have, based on things you've shared, have, have quite a fascination photography of cameras. Mm. I mean, obviously, Instagram is a, is a, you know, is, is a platform for photos. But certainly in the golf space, you've 
seemingly, you know, helped lead kind of an, an artistic path where, you know, you're really, you're using film more than anything. Mm, yeah, definitely got on a really hot obsession of, 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 I mean, I brought my film camera today. I don't consider myself like a professional photographer. I don't, there's a million other more talented people in the golf space with a camera. I just, I do love gear and I love thinking about, you know, what is the possibilities of this lens going to do compared to that lens and this camera body. And, you know, and film is, is totally fascinating because it's this little mystery box. Like you don't know what you're getting. Right. And there's a lot more like kind of thoughtful, purposeful inputs that, that go into taking a photo with a film camera. Yeah. I just, I, I do love photography and I, I want to get better and think there's opportunities to, to hone that craft even, even further. But yeah. Film, it's an expensive obsession because it's like 12 bucks a roll and you gotta get developed and you gotta, it's, it's not economical, but it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that comes back. You know, you get this surprise, you know, weeks after it comes back from the lab and you're like, Oh wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You got any, any, any favorites or advice if, you know, somebody's listening to this that wants kind of, I don't know, an, an entry level film camera that'd be good for a golf course. Yeah. I, I would say any, any SLR from, contacts to oh is that is that messing up the audio maybe yeah i mean i should be fine but oh boy might be the president going wow <laughs> that's amazing yeah oh yep three of them that's definitely oh, yeah. the president yeah yeah there's anything that kind of looks like that because film cameras have gotten way more expensive in, in recent years yeah anyone can hit me up if they need advice and i can point them in the right direction but just a basic you know everyday SLR will do yeah. you just fine. The challenging I've found with some of them is that they're, you know, you'd be heavy. Heavy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you better, better be ready for, you know, understanding light and metering and, and yeah. you know, zone focusing or, you know, if it's a rangefinder of, you know, matching a focus patch together. I think that's what I've enjoyed so much about is just like continuing to challenge ourselves and like once i get bored of that we'll go on to something else you know like i got recently really into like how can i get a camera that's like as small as possible like you're lugging around a camera on a golf course you're not totally present for that round and that's kind of been this like duality of like sugar love that's always bugged me it's like well like i'm here because i love golf and i want to play with my friends and talk to them but like i also feel a pressure to take photos to talk about it later on instagram and that's kind of like those are like at odds with each other. Like you can't do both great. And so I recently bought a super, super tiny Rico crop sensor, like a street photography camera that can fit in your pocket. Cause I'm like, okay, well this is going to like eliminate some of that sort of distraction of like a big, you know, full frame, you know, yeah. 65 millimeter lens that kind of can take away from being like present and like enjoying that like experience of, playing golf with your friends. Have you had much, and this is kind of be a good transition to, I think our, our last topic, but have you, had, do you get my experience following golf courses? I mean, I follow most of the local golf courses is they're pretty bad at social media. They're, they're not great at PR and marketing themselves in general. I've found courses reaching out to you saying, can you help us out? Sometimes if they know we were there and had some cool photos, they'll ask to have the photos to use on their website or Instagram. I mean, it's, Social media, like we honestly don't do the daily management for clients anymore on social media because it's like, it's really hard to do it well. Like yeah. you have to have someone there who's on the ground, being present, 
always mindful of like cool things to take pictures of or stories to tell. So it's, it doesn't surprise me that golf courses like suck yeah. at it because they're, they got to worry about the maintenance and the pro shop and the food and beverage. And like, it's the last thing on their mind sort of thing. And it, you know, it is a little sad that some really cool places like country clubs, especially have like horrible Instagrams yeah. too. Like, you know, lobster night this Thursday, you know, that, that right. post stays up there for years. It's like, what is right. going on right. here? And they're posting just stock photos, but there's also, uh, out of, do, you, do you experience at all? I, I'm just keep going off on tangents here, but yeah. I, I experienced this a little bit is, you know, I have, I either, I haven't gotten out of course or I haven't gotten a good picture and I, I end up not posting in a while because I don't have anything good. I don't have any yeah. good pictures. Yeah. I think like <laughs> another, I want to go backwards. I want to be better than the last one I did or whatever. Like, I tell people, if you don't have anything to say, or like, just don't. Like, there, there are months, like, sure, will go five weeks without posting, you know what I mean? And, like, that's fine. And, like, never force it, you know? Like, I don't scrape the barrel looking for an old picture that, you know, I don't know. You just got to trust your instincts. I feel like that's, like, what we've done pretty well. It's, yeah. For folks that aren't really, you know, diehard Sugarloaf followers, you guys have created and done work for Pebble Beach, Pinehurst. We haven't brought it up, and, and, and I understand that we're not allowed to discuss it too in-depth, but, you know, one of the most famous golf courses on the planet in Augusta, Georgia. Yep. Everybody knows who that is. You've been, you're doing work for these these firms, so they're, they're paying attention. You, you mentioned that Pinehurst reached out to you. Is that right? Yep. yep. So let me just pause there. How did, you know, how did that happen? Yeah, Pinehurst... The leadership at Pinehurst is, is, you know, unparalleled, I think, in the golf space, led by Tom Pashley. You know, they, you've seen how that resort's kind of evolved over the past five, six, ten years with the cradle and all the efforts they've done to make the place seem more approachable and youthful and, and family-friendly, women-friendly. And they, they saw Sugarloaf as part of that kind of up-and-coming group of people who had something special and just wanted to, that relationship was like, we're going to do a collaboration with Sugarloaf and do some co-branded stuff in the pro shop. And then it quickly turned into like helping with other projects like number four's branding. But is that because cards. somebody there is just, just happened to be following you and, yep. and, and understood the impact that you have on definitely, I would say a certain space and generation and everything. Every marketing director at every big fancy course and resort is, on Instagram, like seeing what's going on, like they can. So, so that's my that's kind of my last topic. Yeah. Is kind of the, where, where is this all head? So we we talked about Sugarloaf's future, but what about just kind of golf in general? And, and my my question being like, from a merchandise, not necessarily from a golf course perspective. We mm. we talked about that a lot, but like, you know, from branding, merchandise, you know, social media, Instagram, like where, where is this all, where's this all going? Where, where is the, where's the, where's that landscape in five years? Yeah, that's a, that's kind of a big question for sure. <laughs> I mean, I know we kind of touched on this already, but like, I think what we're seeing in the golf shift, these big resorts building the par three courses, like that's kind of like a huge, huge signal that like yeah. something is, something's changing where, you know, golf doesn't necessarily have to be 18 holes and 7,000 yards, whatever. We can offer these other products that are, you know, more welcoming to kids or fun for after your round or can have an eight sum with no problem. I think that, you know, that sort of golf course, like taste tempo has shifted crazy fast, like 
10 years ago, like a par three course is like a gimmick, you know, or right. Sweeten's Cove was hanging on by a thread. And now it's like the most desirable kind of place to put your stamp on. In terms of how does Instagram, you know, I think there's some concern like with all of these new brands that pop up every day, you know, when a Pebble Beach does go on Instagram is like decides who to work with, like it's kind of becoming a very cluttered space. And so, you know, who knows? I, I have no idea what five years from now looks like. Yeah. I don't think Instagram will exist like in five years, sure. to be honest. Like it might, it's already probably trending, you know, like what's, what's post Instagram, I think is like almost the better question. Like does Sugarloaf get into more printed materials or do we start breaking ground on a golf course in five years? You know, I think, I think a lot of the, I think there will be some brands that probably get, you know, who, what little brands does Adidas golf buy next year? You know, like, does that happen? Or, you know, can, can Sugarloaf sponsor a tour player per se? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't really answer your question really well, No, no but I, I, it's, it's a hard, it's, it's an impossible question to answer is the reality. Is the reality. Yeah. I, I, I I do think there's been some incredibly positive shifts in like, like golf course attitudes and appetites for different sort of products from, you know, doing your traditional four course resort thing to going all the way to Tennessee to play a nine hole course in the middle of nowhere. Basically. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing that those things can like live like on the same plane, like in harmony. And so I think, you know, what I hope to see more of are like, the Rob Collins and McCartans of the world do like affordable, architecturally interesting things in urban and dense areas. And like National Lynch Trust is going to, it's going to be a 10 year project, but that's kind of like what they're going to deliver a really unique, you know, Rock Creek, a unique product that's different than what's here is a reversible course. And then the his history of Langston kind of coming back to life with, with a really beautiful golf course. And yeah, I think there's, there's like an open-mindedness to like different types of golf, basically. Sure. Last question. Yeah. When Ian Gilly is driving from course to course in the long <laughs> roads by yourself in Nebraska, yeah. what podcasts are you listening to? Oh, man. Definitely. There's, there's a lot of podcasts and music. The podcasts, like, I'm pretty much... Or music. Yeah, yeah. You know, anything coming out of the, the Bill Simmons universe, I'm, I'm pretty much here for but you know, every day catch the, catch the daily, like when Freakonomics drops a, a podcast all over that indicator, Planet Money. You know, I was an econ major and spent time on Capitol Hill. So I like, I'm not an expert in either of those fields, but I kind of like see, you know, the holisticness between like the consumer mind and the economics and political thinking. And so that's kind of, and then pop culture, I kind of, that's where I spend a lot of my podcast time. Music, I'm, I'm all over the place. Like it might be pop punk to screamo to EDM to rap. I mean, it's all over. So, um, but yeah, usually we're sure now we're showing our age gap. I don't even, I don't know. What, what is screamo? I don't even know what that is. Uh, you don't want to know. It's, it's, it's stuff your parents wouldn't like, but I, you know, when you're like, you need something, you need heavy black coffee and some really loud music to get you through the last 30 minutes of four hours. All right. Well, I think we, we, we covered a lot here, Ian. Uh, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you very much yeah, for. I, I know you don't you don't take a lot of a lot of press for, but so so coming on the Beltway Golfer Podcast, your hometown podcast. I appreciate it. Very Let's much. do another one. Absolutely, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank right. you. I don't have a good golf game, but I don't really care. 
I'm a, I'm a regular dude living in D.C., and I want to know about D.C.-centric golf stuff. If you can tell me something that I don't already know, then that is great for me. I don't want the regular stuff. I want exciting stuff. I want different stuff. I don't want stuff I can't hear elsewhere. But I want it to be about D.C. golf. 